Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a top week working with your players. Before we get into today's conversation, a quick recap on the latest content to come out on playerdevelopmentproject.com over the last week or so. We've recently published our brand new masterclass discussion with FA National Women's Coach Developer Amy Price. We've had some great feedback on social media around this discussion, where Amy offers some fantastic practical advice to coaches on how to use the principles of video game design to enhance your sessions. The full discussion, which is almost an hour and a half, is available on the website now. We've also released a new session plan, which focuses on defending with a high line, which is a nice tactical practice with a few adaptations in there for you. And Dan Wright's new podcast, On the Grass, recently featured Norwegian Academy coach Jonas Monkfold on developing the individual. And this came out earlier in the week, so there's plenty of content for you to dive into to help your coaching. Today's podcast features our latest Q&A. In this discussion, Dan and I debate the challenges of young players deliberately giving away professional fouls in youth football. We debate the difference between diving and cheating versus a tactical foul in the game, discuss win at all costs versus game management, and where values fit in, and how coaches can find a balance in this scenario. This is a really challenging topic, so hopefully this one stimulates some discussion, and if you have your views, feel free to share them via the social channels or via the PDP Slack community, where members are sharing ideas and questions almost every day, which is fantastic. As usual, a quick reminder that if you haven't signed up to become a PDP member, we have monthly or annual membership options available at playerdevelopmentproject.com, so you can sign up and access all our top content. And as mentioned, the new PDP Slack community has been live for a couple of weeks. This is an engaging, interactive place for members to share ideas, ask questions, post session plans and more. So it's been a really good start in the first couple of weeks. Finally, if you get a chance, leave us a review for the podcast, and I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. As per usual, I am joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you this week? I'm very well, thank you. This is uh, take three of this podcast, so we're, we're hopeful that we get through it this time. <laughs> the joys of Wi-Fi and technology. Well, Dan, it's great to have you on board as usual. And this week we've got a really challenging question that's come in via Facebook from Joe. Now the question is, is it okay for a player to commit a professional foul? To give a little bit of context around this, Joe is a father and a coach who was watching his son's team play. Uh, his son gave away a professional foul and he sort of noted the, I guess, the change in what the game is starting to look like as his son's going through the ages. So, Dan, what's your first take on this one? Yeah, it's a brilliant question. I think um, we, we're fortunate we get quite a few of these types of questions. And so um, this was one we could have dodged. It's quite a difficult one, but we're, we're being brave and we're going to try and uh, tackle it now. Um, I think the, the the starting place for me would be, and there's lots of different ways, different places we can go, but the, the starting place for me would be to make sure we know what we're talking about. So um, I, I would use the language of a tactical foul, um, and a tactical foul for me is um, a foul that disrupts the play, so uh, sl- slowing down the game or stopping stopping an attack so that you can get your team back into shape. Um, very different in my mind to kind of diving or cheating or, or creating something that wasn't there, so it's a acknowledgement that you're happy to break the rules um, and take the booking or to, to take the free kick or the punishment um, to, to get what you want. Um, is that is that kind of your understanding? Because I know we've got some content around kind of cheating and diving and stuff. So just make sure, um, yeah, in my mind that they're slightly different things. Yeah, we do. And I think the first consideration is, you know, where where do we draw the line at win at all costs? And when does, when does the reality of winning or win weeks or that sort of understanding of winning and failure 
um, come into play and at what cost are we willing to do it? So I think, first of all, it reflects the environments we want to create. In terms of content, we've got some great articles in the magazine, uh, Cheating, a Learned Behaviour, which was written by uh, our assistant editor, John Hoggard, uh, for the last magazine issue, citing Neymar's antics around the World Cup. Also, an article called Utopian Football, Should We Aim Higher by Andy Van Stratton, which is a a really nice read, just again around the values that perhaps we should aspire to because football is a game that is plagued with diving, feigning injury and these kind of things. So I think there's a difference between game management, managing the game, um, and also then pushing the pushing the limits in terms of manipulating the referees. Now, at the time yeah. of recording, we've, we've seen the Women's World Cup in full flight and the English girls came up against the Cameroon team and it was a pretty awful affair. And I thought Phil Neville spoke brilliantly afterwards in terms of being really scathing about some of the behaviour of the opposition and drawing a line in the sand. I mean, again, before we sort of dive into the question, what is your take on the key difference between these two concepts we're talking about? Yeah, I think um, tactical fouls I'm quite comfortable with. It wouldn't be something I would I would coach at nines and tens, but I suppose when players reach first team, they would be expected to know the demands of what it takes to win, and that's probably something we can dive into later on. I think where that line is very different for me is, you know, there was um, uh, alleged spitting in that game, uh, arguing with the referees and the linesmen about the VAR, uh, threatening to walk off the pitch, all that kind of stuff. That, mm. that for me, would be a nonsense, and that, that is cheating, and it's, um, yeah, that, that would challenge my kind of vase of why we play football. The tactical fouls, I suppose, it, it is part of the game, although it's an ugly part of the game, um, and we can probably talk about that later, but that's probably where I see... Um, different ends of a spectrum there. I think there's stuff there that's completely um, unacceptable, I suppose. And then there's some stuff that is um, you'd rather not do it, but perhaps when you're in a kind of learning to win or, or performance environment, you might have to do it to win. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can think of a personal experience where we took a team to Germany a, a couple of years ago now and, you know, we saw young players in that sort of under 13 and 14 space diving, feigning injury, attempting to get players sent off. And to be honest, for me, that was crossing the line. I think there is a line, particularly in the youth space, um, where, you know, behavior needs to be at a level that needs to be modeled by the coach. Um, and we need to be focusing on that development sort of uh, premise. I know, again, recently there was a game in New Zealand which made headlines because there was a bit of a bust up. And I think there was half a dozen players sent off because of some sort of all in brawl. So I think whether it's um, poor behavior, misconduct or cheating, I think they are a different thing to the question, but it's worth addressing. So if we dive into the question a little bit, and you've, you've brought up the idea of the tactical foul, which you know is, is quite big in futsal and it's big in basketball as part of the game, at what point do you think it is starting to sort of come into the game and at what point do you believe it's part of the learning of the game? Yeah, so I, I work with similar age groups to the, to the question, so kind of 13s, 14s. I think when it goes to 11 v 11 um, I think the challenge is like if, if we are as coaches working in that youth space we're talking about kids learning the game we're talking about skill acquisition or skill adaptation and so if you coach or teach tactical fouls they become the norm and I think um, it's, it's probably important to talk about there's lots of other stuff around defending before I would even mention a tactical foul yeah so if you if you were working on a curriculum or you had a scheme of work there's probably tons and tons that you can talk about with defending as a team, defending in units, defending in pairs, defending as an individual, defending on a counterattack, uh, you know, overloaded, underloaded. There's tons and tons of stuff you could talk about before I'd even mention about a tactical foul. So um, I think that the, the way I've explained it with, with my kind of group is using like a checklist or a priority list of defending. 
So the best thing is to, to regain the ball and to, to counter-attack. So whether that's through an interception or, or a very clean tackle. And the worst thing is conceding a goal. And then you can pose. And I've, I've physically done this with pieces of paper where you kind of move them up and down a ladder. And then you can pose. So where does tactical foul sit in that? So it's not as good as intercepting the ball and, and breaking away. But it's better than conceding a goal. So, so where do you where do you put that in that kind of um, mental model? And what age should you teach it? Because I think at nines and tens, that would be a bit bonkers. And there might be some people that say at 13, 14, that's a bit bonkers. Um, just to give more context, I introduced this around kind of a tournament. And so it was a 20-minute game. Um, so I think state of the game is quite interesting as well. So like, what would you do? What would you do uh, with five minutes to go versus what would you do in the first five minutes? Um, so yeah, that that's kind of how I see it, and I and I've kind of uh, worked through it kind of mentally in my head that there's loads of other stuff we need to teach. Mm. And then if kids choose to do it in training, I think we can also give them yellow cards and we can give them the, the consequences they'd get in a game. Yeah. Um, because there there will be kids that adapt to fouling people because that gets you success and it stops the game. And but then they get a yellow card in training or they get sent off in training you can say this is what's going to happen on Sunday if yeah. you choose to defend like that so can we talk about body shape and foot position and getting cover and balance and all those other stuff mm. and prioritize that stuff ahead of um, tactical fouls yeah I think from my perspective I'm working with under 20s at the moment and I, I, I agree with you 100% about prioritizing in terms of learning how to defend so I guess more often than not a tactical foul is going to be out of position I think if we agree on that then then you can sort of build from there We've had a few uh, scenarios where players will be training and the intensity will be at such a level where they're almost ripping the shirt off each other's back and it's getting very physical. Now, some nights we may let that slide because we want the intensity to be high, we want the desire to be on show, we want them competing. But then there'll be other nights where we might introduce a whistle and say, look, if you don't defend properly, then we're going to blow the free kick and it's going to go the other way because in reality, they're not going to get away with behaving that way in a game on the weekend when the referee could be on a spectrum of whatever they believe to be the laws of the game. So I think it's really important to look at what do you value in terms of defending and coaching players to defend properly, whether that's hands up, hips across, whether that's the 1v1 duel in front, the 1v1 duel from the behind, how to intercept and, and read the play, different sort of things. I think they have to be prioritised. And I think your scenario around a win week is a really good example where in a tournament, for example, you can shift the paradigm. If your season is 90% about development, um, it could be that at the end there might be two or three tournaments at the end of the year that teams get to play in, and you can change the experience because kids do need to be exposed to that adversity. So I think the context and the scenario is really important. I think there's a line here where, let's say, it's the last man defending and a player's going in on goal in the 91st minute. Do you want your player to go down and give the red card and concede the penalty? I would say at youth level, no. You know, I'm, I'm going to draw a line in the sand there and say, look, I, I would rather that my player showed unbelievable desire but failed and conceded the goal in a, in a youth football game than took the man down, got the red card and, and all the sort of consequences that go with it and the spice that can create on the sideline because personally I don't think the results at that level at that age group are so important. Um, so that, yeah. that's my own personal view. Um, so I think the context is important. Yeah. However, if that player <laughs> did do it and then told you why they did it, yep. that shows a level of game understanding. 100%. If they said, sorry about the red card, Dave, but I thought if I made that tackle and we got everyone back, we'd win the game. <laughs> my my point might... is you won't hear me standing on the sideline yelling, axe him or chop him yeah, or these kind yeah, of things. Exactly. So I just want to put that out there. And you'd be happy with that. But I would also, maybe not overtly, but I'd be happy if the player came and said, I did that because. Yep. Because that is a level of game understanding that they've made. And 
two things have kind of flashed into my mind. The first one is when you talked about training and people not defending properly, mm. um, all of us will do kind of smaller, tight areas and 2v2 finishing and stuff. And if the defender fails, it's a great um, moment to give a penalty. Mm. So rather than practicing penalties at the end of training when it doesn't mean a lot, give a penalty when the player is you know, struggling for breath and cross that he was fouled and all that. Put it on the spot and take a penalty because the forward is learning to finish in a scenario that looks like game day and the defender gets a live consequence of giving the foul away. I think that's a, a, a beautiful, mm. beautiful thing. And then the the other scenario that's popped into my head, um, this is a player that you and I both coached mm. a few years ago. We were playing uh, a large uh, Premier League team and we were winning with two minutes to go and this fullback refused to run forwards. And yes. we were encouraging, we were, we were, we were counter-attacking and we were encouraging this boy to run, go, 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 run forwards. And he wouldn't. He, he chose not to. And so he, after the game, we were like, you know, why wouldn't you? And he said, well, we were winning the game with two minutes to go against this great team. Mm. Um, and, and that was a really great discussion as coaches because it didn't fit the philosophy because we expected the fullbacks to support in this shape. That was his job. But he'd made the decision that in this moment, we're winning against this team and it was important for him in that moment to win or he felt the performance that he put in was good enough to win mm. and um, he chose not to run forward and and we had a, a really great conversation as coaches so I think it does tie into like uh, my first example was session design and representative design probably mm. and the second bit is you are developing p players that understand the game or, yeah. or understand the game what their role is so it's not just this, this is why these Q&As exist. It's not black and white attack <laughs> fouls are good or bad. You just need to know what you're looking at. So yeah. you know, if that kid went off the pitch and said, I did that because of X, Y, Z, I might go, hmm, be better if you defended properly. But part of my brain might be saying, yeah, good job. Like That means that you've learned and you understand your role, role in the game. Yeah, I certainly remember that day. And I think you know we were looking at it from a purist perspective. We want this boy to work on his individual plan and his 1v1s and his forward runs and these kind of things. But we all recognised afterwards that it was unbelievable game management from a young player. And there is a great blog on the website called Manage the Game by Ben Bartlett, um, which he was kind enough to share with the PDP community, which is a really good example of some practical ideas as to how to coach game management within small-sided games. So again, I think there's a, there's a really uh, valuable lesson in, in learning game management. And sometimes that comes at the expense uh, of your individual plans or of your philosophy and so on. Um, I think just to throw a spanner in the works here, Dan, I think we, we've also got to look at where our values sit individually as coaches, as leaders in sport, as people who are influencing programs. You know, you've got a lot of adults around. Sometimes you'll have parents in the crowd who might be screaming or shouting or they're appealing at the referee. And, you know, you, FC Barcelona has always been cited as a club that plays with these values of within the academy that we must play with sportsmanship. And that's a key metric in how they determine success within their academy teams. Now, again, until you're in the environment, I know Jimmy Vaughan has spent some time there observing. Um, it's hard to know whether that's being walked, but the evidence suggests that it is in terms of, um, you know, walking the walk. And again, there's an article at FC Barcelona walking the talk on the website, which Jimmy wrote around some of the values. But you know, where, where, does, where does this kind of question and these challenges as they emerge in front of us as coaches, where does that sit with your own values and how important are yeah. our values in the way we, we deliver and shape environments? I think that's the beauty of these this whole Q&A and this whole player development project platform is that you and I get to get more clarity and refine kind of our thoughts on, on what we would do in every context because we're fortunate that people send us these questions so we can think, yeah, when, when would we do that? When you know, when is right and when is wrong? I think the 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 thing that I'm taking away um, from this is 
it would definitely be wrong to teach tactical fouls as um, a means of defending if you haven't talked about everything else in the kind of playbook or, or, or textbook of defending if that exists. Mm. Because when it becomes a default for a player, when it becomes the answer, that that's a problem. And then the, the Barcelona example is brilliant because at first team level, I think most people would agree they, they don't always um, set the best example. Like they do, they do make tactical fouls. They probably do simulate at times. There's been some really famous examples. I, I think under Guardiola, uh, Messi was uh, guilty of committing the most fouls, stopping counterattacks, and that's something Man City have been labelled at, mm. labelled with. Sorry, but that that also probably. Um, ties into what we talk about a lot that that's the adult game and that's yeah. the adult lens so you you encouraging your players to do what Messi does at 32 in the Champions League is probably not that relevant for 9 and 10 year olds so <laughs> it, it's where you know where you are on that spectrum and then where you are you know where, where you're going to introduce that but also being completely transparent and honest and, and um, understand why you're doing what you're doing so mm. don't don't say oh, I'd never do tactical fouls and then when you get to a Sunday say to a little Billy <laughs> You know, it's all right. You can do it because then that—that's where kids will get confused because it's a bit muddy and, and you're not sure. You know what what I do on what day and, and when Dave's going to shout at me and when he's not. So, yeah, modelling what what you yeah modelling what you believe in and then, uh, like you said, kind of walking that walk is um is it, it's difficult and that's why I quite enjoy these Q and A's because mm. I can often go away and reflect and think, yeah, is 13 too young? Like, mm. would it be? Does it does it need to be taught? Can it wait till 18 or 19 or 20? Like. Mm. It's interesting. And and the other thing that I've noticed is perhaps you get influenced by what other teams do. So yeah. this might be similar with the with the, the example that yeah, that boy might have learned to make a tactical foul because that happened to him two weeks ago. And so yeah. if that's OK and the referee didn't book him, of course, I'm going to do it every week. Mm-hmm. And that's where you might have a challenge, because as a coach, you're going to say that team does that. But we choose to do this because, you know, our club values are X, Y, Z and kind of. Um, yeah, living by those every every session and every game can be yeah. can be difficult. Yeah, I think the big takeaway here is that I think it's important for adults as role models to draw a line in the sand around behaviours, um, acceptable behaviours, whether that's interacting with opposition, interacting with each other, the behaviour at training, the behaviour on game day. All of these things need to be, I guess, clear. And I, I've always sort of advocated, and we've spoken a lot about giving players ownership of that to empower them to then hold each other accountable, which I think is critical. Um, I think your point around the fact that this this foul has emerged in the game, it's been highlighted by Joe, points to the fact that kids will work this out. And whether that's because they're watching Champions League or Premier League on TV, or whether that's just because it's starting to happen in their own game, I think we can be pure in the sense that we want the game to be as clean and as sporting as possible. But when players or athletes are competing in any sport, then that competitive edge is going to force people to do things because if emotional control was easy, then every sports game that you watch would be very balanced and there wouldn't be passion. And I certainly don't think we ever want to remove the passion from sport. You know, I I sort of watch sport as a fan. Um, We we, we sort of obviously coach it and we're involved with it, but it's nice sometimes to step back and watch as a fan. And you can be frustrated by some of the emotions you see. You can be thrilled with how your team's performing. And I think sometimes there are things you see, and again, citing the example of the England-Cameroon game and the Women's World Cup, where the line is crossed and it becomes unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously things do emerge as players learn the game. And gamesmanship, you know, I can think of um, examples in cricket, 
you know, where people slow the overrate down towards the end of the game because they're really trying to get their field set, and that's been happening at the Cricket World Cup. Um, or it might be players slowing the play of the ball down in a rugby league match because there's only two minutes left and they're feigning injury and these kind of things. So they're pushing the, pushing the envelope um, to manage the game, to get a result because they've got fans involved. But again, these are performance environments. These are adult environments. So I think it's very important that we differentiate those two. So, Dan, any sort of final thoughts to sort of wrap up on that little rant and, and any uh, additional <laughs> yeah, information I think, for Joe? I, I think when you said the players are learning from um, each other and playing games, I think the other thing that young kids learn a lot from is like uh, video games, so playing FIFA. So people will chop people down in FIFA because, <laughs> you know, you get a yellow card, but you stay, you know, you stay in the game. Um, so I know the kids I work with will, will do that if they're playing online and they're playing their mates and they're, one one the lap with thirty seconds to go, they will chop, just chop and chop and chop. Um, is that right? Don't know. That's a question for another day. Um, and I think the other thing that you've touched on, but we, we might be worth just spending thirty seconds on, it, is the different cultures because part of the um, and it, it would be impossible unless we went to Cameroon. But part of the kind of discuss here is it, it's in the media, it's 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 on all the front of the newspapers, Phil Neville's all over Twitter about. You know, that isn't how football should be played and, you know, it's completely wrong. I'd be interested to see what that looks like in Cameroon and whether they are bothered, um, <laughs> whether they're embarrassed, whether they would do it again, whether the women thought that they were in the right to argue yeah. a VAR decision. Because um, as you were talking about cricket examples, I was thinking about, do you remember in the World Cup, I think it was uh, in South Africa, where Suarez handled the ball off the line? Yes. Um, and because that all worked out beautifully, I think it was Ghana, and they, the penalty was saved. Um, he was a hero, like mm. right thing to do. Gotten mm. three points, gotten through to the next round. Like, and I can't imagine an English player or media backing someone, even if that went well. Like, imagine if John Stones did that, handed it off the line, and Pickford saved the penalty, but then we still went through. He'd still get battered. He'd still get absolutely hammered. Yeah. Um, whereas I got the impression that Suarez was, you know, intelligent. <laughs> And Jimmy's talked about this before, that kind of deception is a skill. Like It seems like yeah. the South Americans value the fact that I've outsmarted you and outwitted you. Yeah. So there is a cultural understanding here, and it might be either that player's social cultural background or the coaches or the teams you're playing against. So, yeah, you touched on that when you said you were playing in Germany and, and the players mm. are working differently. So it might be something that's worth um, just thinking about. So why has that happened and does that player watch... An Italian team, or does he have an Italian parent, or you know something like yeah. that might influence how we play. So yeah, who we are is how we play. Is, is another kind of PDP message, isn't it? Absolutely, Dan. Some great advice there. And obviously, in terms of supplementary content, we have mentioned a few articles along the way. But search James Vaughan's work on the website using the search function there. Um, there's a lot of. Uh, you can also search using the word values. There's a lot of content that will come up around that. Um, I know John Alders contributed a great uh, article around team values and team culture uh, for the magazine as well. So plenty to read up on this. A very challenging, uh, very challenging topic, a great question from Joe. Hopefully we've provided some food for thought. Dan, a really enjoyable discussion. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'd be interested to see if we get some uh, engagement through social media, whether people think we're right or wrong or somewhere in the middle maybe. Well, thanks again for your time, mate, and we will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. 
Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.